we're gonna we're gonna have a little recap. So basically, yeah, Potiphar's wife has kind of um, has kind of set Joseph up pretty badly. He's found himself in jail, um, but he's been faced with two gentlemen are in there for different reasons. A baker and a cupbearer. Uh, they've had dreams, and he has, um, yeah, he's taken some time with them uh, to be able to interpret these dreams. Um, one was really good news. One was not such good news. Both came completely true. So this new bit we're looking at here is Genesis 41, verses 1 to 46. Now, before I go any further, that sounds quite a lot of verses. I'm quite aware that Genesis 41 from 1 to 46 is a lot of things to look at. However, guys, when I spent some time this week, or a lot of time this week, thinking this through and praying about it, I can't get past verse 1. I'm really struggling to get past verse 1. So actually, my recap, guys, is going to involve the whole of verses 1 to 46, and then we're going to look at verse 1, okay? And there's a reason for this, I promise, okay? So basically, this passage from 1 to 46 is the bit that you know really well, which is, we probably know it quite well, which is a story, the part of the story where Pharaoh is struggling over two dreams. One about really fat cows and really skinny cows, and one about um, heads of grain, one being looking in really good nick, like they're going to produce really good harvest, and then a bunch of ones that have been heavily damaged by an easterly wind that then swallow up the good ones. Likewise, the little skinny cows go over to the really fat cows and swallow them up. And Pharaoh's really, really confused. Now, I know that sounds like a really simplified version of it, but actually that's what they are. And when you look at how Joseph actually speaks about it afterwards, he highlights how simple those are. That's just what it means. They're basically saying the same thing, okay? So, looking at verse 1, if you want to bring that up, Jake, this is what I was really hit by. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. Two full years had passed. When you turn that page of your Bible over, it goes from this point where uh, the cupbearer is released, okay, and the baker has a bad end. Two years pass on the turn of a page. Two whole years. I can't get past the fact that two whole years passed. Turning a page in your Bible, two years went by. Now, for us, it's turning our page. And reading two years, how about for Joseph? Two years he spent sitting in a jail for something he never did. That's going to feel rough. That's not going to feel nice at all. You see, just as Thomas spoke about last week about looking up, I don't think it was any, uh, it was any mistake or any some surprise when Thomas stood up earlier on and talked about Peter stepping out of the boat. It's what I've been thinking about all week. It's just picturing Peter looking at Jesus. Thomas spoke specifically about the fact that if you just have your head down and you don't look up, you're only seeing half the picture. Trying to see the beautiful streets of Aberdeen, I believe, was the, the main point he was making. But if you don't look up, you don't see the full picture. You see, when we look up, we look up. And by looking up, we see forwards. That's the whole idea behind looking up. We hear it all the time. Chin up, son. Chin up. You're fine. What does that even mean? People say chin up. Well, it's because you're looking up. You're seeing forward. You're not hiding behind something um, because you're looking at the floor. You're proud of who you are. You're looking forward to the thing of the future. That's what chin up means. However, when Jesus stood up and said, chin up, Peter, as a bit of a different picture, he was standing on water. Incredible picture that is. But it was all about looking up to look forward, to look at him and move with that. You see, in the darkest moment of Joseph sitting in that jail, I don't believe for a second that he was happy from start to finish. 
there's nothing that's said on that turn of the page in the Bible that says how he felt in that time. But as a human being, I can't imagine sitting in a jail cell for something I didn't do and being cool with it. I just can't picture myself being happy with that situation. He must have felt alone. In the darkest moments, people, we find ourselves feeling really abandoned. In the lowest points in our life, it doesn't matter what it's about, but you feel alone, you feel lost, you feel abandoned. You feel that nobody quite grasps it, nobody understands, and no one's ever going to understand how you feel. You feel, where are you, God, in this situation? Because it hurts you that he doesn't understand. He's like, why don't you get this, God? You ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Have you seen Bruce Almighty? Jim Carrey, it's kind of it's an amazing movie where he's given, basically, God gives him the, the, the experience of being God for a couple of days to see how it goes. It doesn't go well. But he has this amazing email system set up. Instead of Yahoo, it's called Yahweh, right? And, and, he, and he gets all of these messages coming in, ping, 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 and Bruce's mistake is he says yes to all to save the time. However, it's the biggest illusion that we are left with, people, that that is how God sees us talking to him. That for some reason, the only time that we know that God knows that we're there is when we ping him an email. That when we speak to him, we pray to him. That's the moment that God actually looks to us and goes, oh yeah, Pete, my son, there he is. What a lie. That is nothing to do with how God is about us in our lives. Do you realize that in Psalm 139, 17, 18, it says this, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. It's two things to take from that. I'm going to touch them on different points. The first one I want to pick up is the end where it says, when I wake up, you're still with me. There's him saying straight away that sometimes a valley moment, guys, is not going to happen and be fixed like that. That when you wake up the next morning, you're still not alone, even though the moment might still be going. That sometimes we picture that if we pray about something, that then he's going to snap a finger and it's all going to disappear and suddenly be better. It doesn't say that, but what it does say is that that moment when you wake up again, he's still with you. He's still there. He's still in the fight with you. The other part of it is about the grains of sand. This picture, I just read it over and over, and I have to be a visual thinker. It's just the way I am, and I needed to picture that better, and I thought to myself, well, who do I think about the most in my life? Okay, the person is Ruth. Thing, my dog, probably, but the th- the, when it comes, to, it comes to Ruth, Ruth is the thing I think about the most. Now, if I just, for a second, pretend to be the very best husband that she could ever, ever have, and I thought about her every second of every day since the moment we met. Right now, I'm counting it around about 350 million times I've thought about her. It's counting still. It'd be a really boring sermon if I just did it real time. About 315 million times I've thought about her. Do you know what, if I then thought myself about the fact that we talk about grains of sand on a beach, that if I laid out a grain touching the next, most grains are on average 0.1 millimeters in diameter. So you lay them out in a straight line to get to a meter, that means there's 10,000 grains of sand that I've just laid out in a straight line. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty special. Well, how about the fact you've got the meter squared? Well, if I'm talking about a meter squared, then I'm now talking... I'm talking about a thousand, uh, I'm talking about a hundred million to make a meter squared. A hundred million grains of sand to make a meter squared. But we've all been to a beach and we've never spent our time just looking across the surface. It's not just like this layer of stone and then just one grain of sand on top of it. We've all dug a hole, haven't we? Let's pretend for just one second that it's just one meter deep. We now have a thousand billion grains of sand to make up that meter cube. 
a thousand billion grains of sand in a meter cube. Now, this is the thing. And I get really emotional thinking about this. But that means that when God thinks about you, when he thinks about you, in the very first stride of Ruth, the very first stride I take on the very first beach, he's beaten me. He's outnumbered me. He's outgunned me by 999 billion thoughts about Ruth. Before I put my foot forwards. And the thing that's amazing about that is that there's 11,000 kilometers of coastline in the UK. 11,000 kilometers of coastline. And that's in a straight line. That's not accepting the fact the beaches are wide. That's not thinking about Europe. That's not thinking about the rest of Europe, the rest of the other continents. It's not thinking about the Sahara Desert. I know it's an analogy, but you just think for a second about how much thought is going in through God every single second of every single day about you. A ping of an email? What a lie. It's not even close to a ping of an email. A thousand billion thoughts in the very first stride of the very first beach. You see, the thing that's amazing about this is that in the moment where Joseph was sitting there, and he's sitting in his prison, he would have felt alone. But the thing is, not for one second was he alone. Not for one second. God never, ever abandoned him. He thought about him that much. He won't abandon you either. In that situation you're in right now, the world around you, at its lowest point, or your lowest point, when nothing feels like it can help you, look up. Look at God. You know, the fact that God is reinforcing you constantly with a knowledge of you that beats anybody else's knowledge of you. He knows the situation that's been. He knows the situation that's going to come. Unlike the email system, don't ever think that your prayers remind God of your existence. Our prayers are us engaging with our creator on a level that drops our mask of the world and lets God work in us. When he has been waiting a billion times that day already to work in you. Do you ever think about that? The fact that he has already been waiting. He's been waiting already. Knock and the door will be open, Matthew 7, 7. Knock and the door will be opened. You can't open a door if you're not waiting on it. He's been waiting for you thousands of billions of times a day to be able to just go, God, what do I do? He's just been waiting. We've got to remember who's in control. You think if we knew what was coming, this is just a question, right? This is a question. Do you think if we knew what was coming, and we could see God's full plan, do you think that we'd follow it? I'm going to give you a second just to think about it. Do you think if we knew what was coming, and we could see God's full plan for our lives, do you think we'd follow it? Can I give you a reason why I questioned this about myself? Ruth sucks at watching TV. She is rubbish at it. Because we get to a point of sitting down, the kids are in bed, we scrape to 8 o'clock, it's fine. Then at that point, I think about actually making some food for us. Now, we get that food out, whatever, as you sit down, we watch it, we watch a bit of television, we maybe sort of have some dinner. And I turn around and she's like, ah. <sighs> Making this really heavy, sorry Ruth, you can hear this later. Making this really heavy breathing sound, which only I've known Ruth to be able to make. Really intense sound. What do I do? Do I, do I sit and watch the episode that she fell asleep in the next night with her? 
because I can't help it. If start of the episode, I'm going to watch it through. Do I, do I, do I, do I go back and sit beside her and watch the episode the next day to make sure that, you know, one that she's staying awake, um, and two because oh well, I'll just watch it again. I never have done. I can't help it. I was like, I've seen that episode. It's fine. I'll go. I'll I'll make some food first, guys. That's fine. Right. I'll make some food. Right. You watch the episode. You see, sometimes I wonder that the reason I don't want to sit down and watch it with her is not because I don't want to spend any time with her. Of course I do. It's the fact that, well, I know the story. I know the outcome. I remember I always laugh at my dad's point that he made when Titanic finally came out as a, as a film. My mom said, do you want to go and see Titanic? And he said, there's no point. I know the ending. And it's exactly the same thought about when I was watching those Netflix shows with Ruth. I know it's coming. I don't want to ruin it for her. I want to wait aside. Well, and that question, though, there is one thing that I thought about in God in that situation. Would I, would I follow what God had asked me to do if I knew it from the start? There's one thing I do know. I wouldn't be acting in faith. I'd be acting in knowledge. I wouldn't be acting in faith. I'd be acting in knowledge. As soon as you act in knowledge, you let more you in and less of God can be there. Because suddenly you then carry uh, the knowledge that becomes prideful, that you know that you can do it yourself. If I knew exactly what was coming, then I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't go down the same tracks. I would start doing my own thing. And you know what happens when you start putting yourself in the control seat? That you start making those errors. You start not spotting the God signs. You start missing points in the path. I know, for example, that I would be that person. I would do that. And I can't speak for everybody here. Maybe you guys are better than me, but I know if I'm being honest with myself, that's what I would do. Less God means more paths astray for me. So Joseph in this moment was standing on faith that God had a bigger plan. We know that actually that bigger plan didn't just take him away from jail, but it actually put him in one of the driver's seats of Egypt. It also brought reconciliation with his family. In verse 16, Genesis uh, 41, verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desired. When Pharaoh had actually taken him out of his jail cell to ask him the question of, can you tell me how this works in this dream? He said, no, (laughs) I can't. But I do know somebody who can. I think really this shows the mindset of Joseph right here. After two years in jail, he looked to God to give him the glory in the moment where any human would have just taken it himself. Can you imagine two years in a jail cell where you can see just a glimmer of hope of maybe escaping it? What would you be your first reaction? Can you, can you answer this dream? Yeah, of course I can. Definitely. Because it might have been your chance out. But Joseph chooses straight away here to give God all of the glory. When an opportunity of freedom, freedom like this comes, it wouldn't really be that surprising for him just to say, yeah, I can do it. Have my name in lights for a wee second. Yeah, maybe this will let me escape. Maybe this will get me out of this sticky situation. But you know what he allowed to be bigger than his needs to leave jail? To have integrity with God. He allowed him to have integrity. Verses 37, 38 points to this because he recognizes the spirit of God in Joseph. Pharaoh actually takes that second and goes, the spirit of God is on him. Now, this is powerful for two reasons. First of all, it's powerful for the fact that he's noticing it. 
to me, really convicted me of some of the situations where I know it's not gone well for me. Have somebody, somebody seen the Spirit of God in me? But what did they see instead? The other thing as well is that Pharaoh did not believe in this God. Don't forget the fact that he had gone and asked every single magician, every single um, leader, godly temple leader that he could find uh, in Egypt before the cupbearer had then remembered that Joseph was about. In moments of pressure, what do we show? Do we show how much the Spirit is in our lives and our decisions? Something that is so incomprehensibly attractive to others. It's not just a thing like Christian to Christian. You spot it and you go, oh, they're a Christian. That's great. People that don't even believe that there is a God will go, there's something special about that person. Because you can't help the fact that you ooze the Holy Spirit. It is attractive because we're designed to have it. Or do we go like sheep? reacting in a situation exactly the same way as the crowd around us reacts in that situation. You ever seen something going wrong at work? Like you remember something going wrong at work and somebody goes, oh, well, we have to blame this. And everybody goes, oh, yes, absolutely. It's definitely there for. Or they say, well, it's the bigger picture. It's, it's the fault of the NHS. It's the fault of the Highland Council. It's the fault of, because what we do is we start dropping into a perspective that is human. We don't have that God perspective anymore at that point. We let the people around us lead us where we don't ooze out the spirit side of things that we actually have. And we actually would actually resolve half of the problems. But you've got to understand the fact that whilst Joseph was in this position of being in jail, God's timing was never an accident. Two years he spent sitting in jail. What if the cupbearer had remembered at the very beginning? Would Joseph have been freed and just like got a job somewhere else? I don't know. We'll speculate. But he was meant to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He was meant to be there, which meant that he was supposed to interpret the cupbearer's dream in jail, which meant that he was meant to be convicted of a crime that he didn't commit, which meant that he was supposed to be portrayed by his brothers. Every single valley moment was dark, yet Joseph kept his head up to see the full picture. He stood by faith alone that God had a plan, and wow, did he not just have a plan, right? Any of those big markers in his life could have looked like an absolute disaster. It could have looked like something that was too big to climb, too big to fix, an unsolvable problem. Sound familiar? That bill, there's no way I'm going to get that paid. No way am I going to be able to pay that on time. That medical scare that you didn't expect you were ever going to hear suddenly becomes part of your world and looks unbeatable. The job uncertainty in something you felt was certain. That relationship where it thought it was strong and something fell apart inside it and it looks dismal. Man, they can look dark. Those moments can look terrifying. But this is what I want to tell you this morning. This is what we stick in your mind is that that's not the end of the story. That's never the end of the story. My, my mom and dad-in-law are really special people to me. They started off a charity that we work with when we were in Romania. 30 years ago, Alec had a picture of a country, he drew it on a piece of paper, not knowing where it was, and somebody pointed out, that's Romania, by the way. And he was like, great, that's where we'll go. And he got there with absolutely nothing, no understanding of whether it and they sat in Cluj Main Square, him and Jesse, his wife, sat there, waiting for meeting their interpreter that was going to be working with them for that time. He never came. So they were sitting on a bench in the middle of a country, a city they didn't understand the language, in a country they didn't know, on the other side of Europe, coming from a little town just outside of Stornoway, 
in the light, but God led us here. Keep your chin up, Jesse. God led us here. This guy comes over to them, walks over and says, are you okay? Can I help you? I said, well, actually, we're meant to have an interpreter. This meeting is here, but he hasn't shown up, and we're meant to be meeting him five hours ago now. Oh, okay. Have you got somewhere to stay? Are you okay? Yeah, we've got somewhere to stay. Thank you very much. Cool. And he just went past the window of the van, and he just stuck his number in the windscreen wiper. And Jesse ran over, and he saw it later on, ran over and picked it up and said, there's a number in here. Let's phone it. It was the guy that came and asked them if they were okay. His name was Doreen. He's our coordinator in Romania now. He's been with them for 30 years. My children met him. They get on really well with him. He's interpreted everything. Why was he there and what was the point of him being there? His finger is so on the pulse of Romania, I couldn't ever imagine being that guy. Where are the needs? I know where the needs are. Do you want me to show you? Sure. You know what you need to do? You maybe need to plant a church there. Great, let's do it. Flourished. Let's make them start another church. Let's build one over here. That's no problem. We're 14 churches later in that process. Where Doreen knew where the problems were because he was not only in tune with Romania, but he was in tune with God. He saw the need. He went there. He did it. We sat in a moment of valley right there, sitting there on a bench in the middle of Cluj Napoca in Romania with no understanding of why you were there. But actually, the reason for being there was to meet Doreen, the guy that wasn't even your picture. He wasn't even part of your story. And yet now, 14 churches later and multiple churches after that that have been built in other countries because of it, all down to that moment of meeting Doreen. It's no accident, guys. It's such a lie to think that was an accident. It's part of the story. At this low point, having faith that not only does God have a bigger plan for your situation, but his plan is so infinitely better than your thoughts that it could ever be, that's crucial. How about Joseph sitting there and going, do you know what I'm looking for is just to be out of this jail? God was like, I hear you. Let's, let's maybe put you in charge of the place that put you in jail, though, eh? When we think we know what the picture is going to be, we think we understand the best possible outcome, we then see the God perspective and we realize that we're just thinking too small. Our box cannot contain God's plan for your life. It just doesn't fit. To be free, to govern a land. Can you imagine that moment? I have been jailed and now I'm governing it. <laughs> That's quite a thought, right? You say it's so easy. I can't turn this piece of paper. There we go. If only it was that head mic, I'd have been all right. All right. <laughs> right. Do you ever wonder what will come of that situation? How about the Valley Challenge? You might not know why you're in the trough you're in right now. You might not understand the lowest point of your valley right now, but you only realize that sometimes the best moment of realizing why you're in the valley is when you're standing at the peak of the hill beside it going, oh, that's why. That's why I'm there. The only way of understanding what the valley is there for is by standing on the peak on the other side. Let's not forget about how many times you drop into a peak, sorry, drop into a, into a valley and then rise to a peak and then drop into a valley and rise to a peak. Guys, we only can end on a peak. We can only end on a peak. Every single person who believes in Jesus Christ sitting in this room right now is going for eternal life. Don't care what happens in this world, guys. I'm finishing on a peak. It can look really difficult right now in this situation where the lowest of valleys, the lowest point, the darkest of places, the biggest of shadows, I'm finishing on a peak. Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. 
Here's the question, though. What are you doing in your valley? Are you listening to your king's voice? Or are you hearing the enemy loud and clear? You've messed up. You have messed up. You're never getting out of this one. This is deep. You are worthless. Lies. Absolute lies. God has equipped you and will continue to equip you every step of the way through every single valley. Why? Because he's told you to have a chin up. Look up. See the full picture. Look to him. Move forward. He's leading you. You see, every single one of us have got gifts in the darkness. Every single one of us have got gifts in the, in the darkness. Joseph teaches something crucial in this imprisonment. Amid all of the personal challenges, he knew that God had given him a gift. Something that was given to him to share. His ability to interpret dreams was a God-given gift. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, in his valley moment, when he heard the baker and he heard the cupbearer, we would say he had every right to go, you know what, I'm not in a good place right now. Not going not gonna, to just to keep my head down on this one. Yeah, okay, I can turn my dreams. But I'm just concentrating on me just now. I'm just, just concentrating on me. I've got to figure some stuff out in my life right now. I'm not going to step in here. See, that would be an understandable to people, but it's not understandable to God. You see, keeping your gifts to yourself robs others of being blessed by God through those gifts. Let me see that again. Keeping your gifts to yourself robs others of being blessed by God through those gifts. Your gifts don't bless others. God blesses people through those gifts. God wants people to experience him and know what a God encounter actually feels like. Imagine unknowingly stealing a God opportunity from somebody else because you let your gift sit dormant on a shelf. That one moment, the thing that you can do that nobody else around you can do and you didn't take the opportunity because you just didn't realize or you just didn't think you were worth it or you just didn't think you were in a place that you could do something about it. That is the biggest lie of the enemy that you can ever have. It's never, ever the case. You are built for such a time as this to be able to use your gifts in a way that will be able to change a moment that looks as dark as possible to being a God encounter that can change your life to be able to finish on a peak. My nan, oh sorry, my great, great nan had a beautiful engagement ring. Man, it was gorgeous. Gold, beautiful precious stones, these Sort of like blue ones beside some green ones and some purple ones. Every facet caught the light in a way that just sparkled. Didn't matter about the light in the room, it just lit up. And so I've been told. And so was my mum told that. <laughs> that was the story she was told. And so was my mum's mum told that. Because it's starting to draw. She wore a cheap imitation version from Boots. 
because she was so scared of losing something of such beauty. She stuck it in a drawer. And when she passed, nobody ever had seen the ring until she handed it down in her will. I know my mom has it. And she wears it every day. Because the thing is that that beauty where a jeweler will have poured time and talent into casting and setting such a beautiful ring was lost because the gift was never shared. If the gift had been shared, then people could have enjoyed it and been blessed by it. If the gift had been shared... How many of our gifts sit dormant? How many of our gifts sit dormant on a shelf? Beyond that, how many of our gifts don't sit dormant on a shelf, but only sit dormant when you're in a valley? I have the gift of hospitality, but I can't invite anybody around right now because, man, my place is a mess. Somebody else will host them today. Played the guitar for years. I haven't, by the way. But if I played the guitar for years, uh, but do you know, it was a lot of effort at jumping up and practicing on Thursday night with the rest of the band and early morning start on a Sunday. Ah, they look like they got it covered. I really feel the Holy Spirit is drawing me to that person, but I've had a really bit of a rough week and I'm not sure I'm hearing that right, so... I better not, don't offend, and I am sure somebody else will pick up the slack there for me. In those sand-sized moments that God is thinking about you, how many times do you think he thinks when he's thinking about you? Now just close your eyes for one second, right? This is short. And replace my name with yours. How many times in those sand-sized moments do you think God thinks, Pete, I've put you there for such a time as this. Use what I gave you. You are equipped. You are ready, not because of you, but because of me. Trust and step into faith in this season where the valley looks dark, but my voice is all you need to lead you through. Right now, though, that guy needs you. Not somebody. You. He seems new to you, but I've been thinking about him since before he was born. This is the moment he needs me. Guys, don't leave your gifts in a drawer. They are too perfect. They are too beautiful. They are too beautiful for that. They are God-given. They are perfect. And they are yours to use for his glory. I love that term. You hear all the time, man, they are gifted. No doubt. No doubt they're, they're gifted. But there is only one illusion in that statement. In that statement, it makes it sound like it's exclusive. Try running this with your friends and your family instead. That there is nobody on this planet that doesn't have gifts. 
There is nobody on this planet. There will be low points where you feel useless, but you can't be because God has gifted all of us with different skills for such a time as these. You all have a purpose. You all have a reason for being here. You have a space in Vineyard Church. You have a space in your family. You have a space in your work. You have a space with your friends because God put you there because of who you are as an individual. I can't fill that gap. I can't change and do what God can do through you. You can't do what God has put me in my situation either. It is a perfect setup. God made no error when Joseph was in two years of jail time when he didn't deserve to be there because he met some people and he interpreted Jim using gifts that he actually knew he had. He used them for God's goodness and God's grace and God's love to be able to show mercy in that, in that time, to be able to fill them with a knowledge that then changed Pharaoh's mind to drop in and ask him for his help, where he then gained favor, where he then ended up running the whole of Egypt. And not only that, long-term reconciliation with his family. There was no error in any of those parts. The greatest lie, and here's me closing, guys. The greatest lie that the enemy can tell you is that you have nothing to offer. Joseph's gifts were used, forgotten, and then remembered at a crucial moment. Joseph's rise in Egypt is testimony to his faithfulness more than anything else. In the lowest of valleys, he never forgot who God was and also what God had given him. Because he looked up to see forward. And this is what I want to say, guys, just as I close. Trust in God's love. Trusting God's love for you, his never-ending commitment to you. Next time you see a grain of sand on the floor, remember how many there are. At the lowest of points, he will never leave you, but instead guide you through it. In those moments, don't forget that you have gifts that nobody else has for that situation, and he has equipped you just the way you need. Even if you feel you're in the lowest of valleys, the most rudderless part of your journey you are never like that. Listen to his voice. Look up. Step forward. God encounters will change lives. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that in the moment of these dark moments, these, the depths of these points, that you are sitting there thousands of billions of times thinking purely of us and waiting for us to call on you. Father, we call on you today to be able to open our minds to the future paths, Lord, that you want for us. Discernment to listen to your voice and not to be impacted by the world around us where it can lead us into a different direction and make that valley journey longer and longer. Father God, I thank you that we get to finish on a peak, whatever happens in life. But Lord, I just pray that you will just encourage our gifts in us, Lord. Holy Spirit, will you just build gifts this morning? Gifts that may have sat dormant, don't sit dormant a second longer. The lives can be touched and God encounters can be had by those gifts being used. In Jesus' name, amen.